Only a button. <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome to episode 99 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. Even though the sky isn't all purple and people are not running everywhere, I am joined as always by my co-host Mary, who is always ready to party like it's episode 99. <laughs> I am merely a broken down little red Corvette named Darren. What? Hey, Mayor, how are you? Oh my God, that was the most random Never mind. Intro. Never mind. You're obviously not a Prince fan, but it's okay. No, I am a Prince fan. I was just like, was not expecting that. <laughs> so what's going on? After a great start, as always, how are you doing? Well, we just had a really great roundtable with everybody, so that was pretty cool. Um, our monthly roundtable, so... which we have every month. Obviously. No, it was great. Great conversation, talking about a bunch of different things, a lot of cool people. We always have a lot of fun with that. So what's going on? What's, what else is going on? So we're at episode 99, which, I mean, we've been talking about, like, well, here we are. We put up with 99 episodes. I could have gone with 99 left balloons if you would have got that one. <laughs> yes, I did. I, I know the Prince song, that. and I know that one. Oh, my goodness gracious. You need some culture on you. But any cause. You, I know both the you know. references. But anyway. Anyway, so... <laughs> I can't believe you didn't get that. I did. But anyway, so we got some fun today. This is episode 99. We're almost at 100, so we have a lot of fun today. We got some fun stuff to talk about in just a second. But I am the host, so I will do the honors here, and I will ask you, of course, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I am drinking Ski the East, which is a IPA from, um, I should know this. It's from Long Trail Brewing in Vermont, which Vermont... If anybody knows their IPA history, that's the where the original hazy IPA comes from is Vermont. New Very England, good. New Very England good. IPA. Okay. Any mug situation tonight? Oh, or? yes. I am drinking it out of my battle of Chickamauga mug. Okay. Because that Very is going to figure prominently in, well, not I shouldn't say prominently, but we are going to be talking about it as part of the episode that we are doing tonight. Excellent. Very good. Very good. And what are you drinking, fine sir? Oh, my God. Thank you for asking. I never thought you'd ask. I always ask. I'm drinking. I'm drinking, it's called Stone FML, Fear Movie Lions, um, and from Stoom Brewery, because we're going to talk about Stone's River a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, not too, too much, but that's going to be part of this as well. And since you didn't ask, I, I will tell you, I'm drinking it out of my U.S. Grant mug, because he's not the focus of this episode, but he is going to promote himself prominently throughout this episode so we're going to talk about no kidding um, according oh, to grant ulysses, ulysses <laughs> grant so we're, we're going to talk about this and so today mary i don't know if you know this but we're going to talk about williams rosecrans now uh this is a guy we've referenced in a bunch of episodes we talked about him yep. a lot stones river we talked about telehome we talked about chickamauga um and this of course is william stark rosecrans now you know you know he, he's a guy who was you know Really had a good, we'll talk about him in detail, but he had a really strong beginning to his military career. Mm -hmm. But for many reasons that we're going to discuss here, you know, he saw his career kind of fall flat due to politics, yep. kind of like Governor K. Warren did. And he never really got over it. Now, Rosecrans was sort of a, you know, he's sort of a punching bag for some. He's probably not toasted at the annual U.S. Grant Symposium. Uh, <laughs> I for, wouldn't for, think so, okay. no. But I mean, you know, he's in, in some ways, though, Rosecrans... And I mean, I love Rosecrans, you know, in a way like Governor K. Warren, but not as bad. He he does like, you know, he does kind of talk back to his subordinates at time. But at the same time, like my opinion is Rosecrans needs to be kind of elevated up um, and a little bit more respected um, when it comes to discussing yeah. the Civil War. Because like you said, he is a very strong beginning. He's got a very strong pre-Civil War career as well as we're going to talk about. But like you said, it just like, 
you know, politics gets involved as well as, you know, he's not the favorite of some of the, uh, well, especially one in particular of one of the stars at the end of the Civil War. Yeah, because the stories are good. Now, Rosecrans, not without his flaws, we're not going to sit here, yeah. you know, and say that. But I think his story is a good one, you know. But so a lot of people, you know, want to know who, you know, who is this guy? He's just not a mainstream type of guy. William Stark Rosecrans was born in Kingston Township, Ohio, which is just outside of Columbus, Ohio, which is not far from where the Michigan Wolverines beat the Buckeyes this last fall, by yep. the way. Just want to get that out there. But his father was uh, Crandall Rosecrans, who was, uh, who was a War of 1812 veteran. Mm-hmm. He served as an adjutant to the general and future president, William Henry Harrison. Uh, Rosecrans' mother was a descendant of Stephen Hopkins, who was a the signer of the Declaration of Independence from right down the street here in Rhode Island, Mary. Nice. So he had some he had some blue blood in him. He uh, he grew up at a farm and had very little schooling, um, but he did learn how to read, and so he spent much of his youth, you know, reading, and kind of like Lincoln, if you think about that. Yep. And you know, Rosecrans was poor, so you know, so paying for college was going to be a big deal for him. Yep. You know. And for that reason, you know, uh, Rosecrans tried to gain appointment to West Point, where he, you know, he, he was successful gaining that, that, that um, gaining that position. And he'd be part of that star-studded class, a class of 1842. You know, we talk about, you know, Abner Doubleday, Earl Van Dorn from last time, yep. and his future Chickamauga combatant, James Longstreet. Yes, yeah, he's with there all the time, and it's really interesting how Rosecrans gets into West Point. Because he's working in Mansfield, Ohio for a time, which is funny. I believe that is also one of the spots where one of his rivals, um, well, it's, yeah, he, is, he will become a rival. Stanton, uh, future Secretary of War, has a law practice. Um, anyway, Rosecrans was a driver for a guy named uh, T.W. Bartley, who was a future Supreme Court Justice of Ohio, or Supreme Court Judge of Ohio. And Rosecrans really impressed him with how intelligent and conversational he was as a teenager. And Bartley really urged him to get a higher education. But as you said, Rosecrans and his family are poor and they, they can't, you know, they can't make it work. So Rosecrans and his father start corresponding with uh, Congressman Alexander Harper from their district. And as you said, he ends up getting that appointment at West Point And he's part of that, that class that has, you know, it's got Longstreet, Doubleday, D.H. Hill, um, Earl Van Dorn, McClaws. Uh, Gustavus Smith, all these guys are part of this class. Yeah, he finds himself in a class. And in that class, he's going to end up graduating fifth mm-hmm. in that entire class. You know, um, and while he's at West Point, you know, he's going to become close friends with a cadet named U.S. Grant, Ulysses S. Grant. We're going to talk a lot about U.S. Grant. Now, and there's that, that famous story there back in West Point, back on a cold night in 1839 when Rose He's going to be listed as a cadet in charge. And one night, he's going to come across a young U.S. Grant who was being hazed by his fellow cadets who was being told to guard a cannon. Just go guard the cannon. And, you know, and so, of course, he's going to do it. And Rosecrans is going to relieve him from his cannon duty responsibility. He's going to tell him you know, it was a prank and go back to your dorm and go back to bed. And really from that point on, Rosecrans and Grant, you know, they kind of developed a really close and good friendship. And it's unfortunate because later events are going to basically destroy that friendship. Yep. And after graduating, you know, his nickname, you know, was Old Rosie. That was the nickname he got. Yeah. Um, as he was called in school, you know, he was originally 
he, he had a lot of different roles after graduations. You know, he, he was basically in charge of preparing those sea defenses over there at Fort Monroe yep. in Virginia um, and some other things. But, you know, he felt that teaching was in his cards. He had yes. that teaching dodge, that bug. So he's going to return to West Point and he, where he's going to teach engineering. Um, and so it's, it's fascinating when you see how his career goes. He didn't go off to Mexico or anything like no, that. No, he didn't fight there at all. You know, so he kind of went on a, on a different thing. Now, some things changed along the way. He had a lot of different uh, callings. And one of them happened in 1845 or so when Rosecrans, who was a lifelong Methodist, is going to convert to Catholicism. And, you know, and by all accounts, he became extremely pious to the point that he was difficult to be around because he argued theology all the time. I mean, you know, you, you call so, it he was like, so he was like Howard. Well, kind of. I mean, he, he's driving the West Point staff crazy, who was mostly Protestants. Mm -hmm. And his brother, Sylvester, would go on to become the bishop in Cincinnati in 1861. You know, so the Catholicism was a real thing with him. And it was interesting because 1851, Rosecrans, you know, he's going to apply for a new job at, at, at VMI, Virginia yeah. Military Institute. And he didn't get the job. And the applicant who did get the job was a guy named Thomas Jackson. Yeah, I found that so interesting. <laughs> It's just, it's like, okay, TJ. Well, it's funny how all these guys' lives all kind of come yeah, together. Yeah, they, they all intersect and intertwine and, you know, and they're all going to be, like, not be together, but they're all, they're all going to intersect and intertwine to the point where it's still happening during the Civil War as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometime in 1854 or so, you know, Rosecrans is going to quit the army. Yeah. Um, he's he's going to quit as a first lieutenant. He's going to join that private sector. Now, the thing about Rosecrans, we mentioned before, he was very self-taught. The dude was smart. He was not some, he didn't fall off the, the turnip truck. No. He's, not, he's, not, he's not some Ontario Canadian wrestler. I mean, this is a smart guy we're talking about here, Mary. But he, he, he was, he, and, and we're going to talk about this in detail here in a second, but he was an inventor. He had a bunch of patents mm -hmm. and, you know, and you're going to talk about a handful, but his real claim to fame was that developing enhancement for kerosene. Yeah. For these lamps, and I and I know there's a whole bunch of stuff that you that that you researched about that. Yeah, so like in 1855, he takes over the Canal Coal Company in Coal River, in what is now West Virginia. So it would have been West Virginia at the time. In 1856, he becomes president of the Coal River Navigation Company, and in 1857, um, he becomes part of the Preston Coal Oil Company for manufacture of kerosene. Um, and during this his time off, like from military service, he does in, earn several patents, including the first kerosene lamp to successfully burn a round wick and a more effective method of manufacturing soap. Um, there's also um, in 1859. So if you look at pictures of Rosecrans, he often has like almost like a smirk on his face. And there's a reason for that. And I'm talking about the pictures of him during the Civil War. That's because in 1859, he was burned severely when an oil lamp exploded um, and set the refinery on fire, and he was severely injured. It takes him 18 months to recover from that, and he had facial scars, and he had the appearance of having a perpetual smirk on his face. Um, and when he recovered from those injuries, that was when the Civil War began. Um, but other, some of the other patents he had, just before we get into the Civil War here, um, he designed and installed the first complete lock system um, in what is now West Virginia on the Coal River. Today, it's known as the Coal River Locks, Dams, and um, Log Booms Archaeological District. Um, he built one of the first oil refineries west of the Allegheny Mountains. 
And in the early part of the Civil War, he is going to invent what is known as the Rosecrans Ambulance as well. And you can see one of those on display in Gettysburg at the, the name is now escaping me. <laughs> I said it right. At the, at, the, at, the Spang, at, at the Spangler, Spangler Farm. Farm. Go, go see Farm. our, go see our friend Mark, Mark, Mark Blanchard over yep. at the Gettysburg Foundation. He have, they have a tour of that. But yeah, we, you know, he has that, 1859, he's the president of that Preston Oil Company. Mm -hmm. And it, whatever happens, a lamp explodes. And, and like you just said, his, he's left with that permanent smirk on mm -hmm. his face. And all I could think about was, all I needed was a little bit of makeup. He could have been a super the Joker. <laughs> the Joker. Wait till they wait till they get a load of me. He, oh, you know he could. You know he could have. He could have done that. And one of the one of the great great roles of Jack Nicholson ever. Right? I hate to think. What does that make Grant? Is Grant like Batman? I'm not sure, but he could have gone. He could have gone the other way. Just just saying. Just saying. He chose. He, he didn't go to a world of evil. No, he but didn't. But in 18, 1861, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but a bunch of people from South Carolina are going to decide to fire on Fort Sumter. And the Civil War is going to begin, and it's going to cause Rosecrans to re-enlist as a colonel in the 23rd Ohio. Mm -hmm. Now, this regiment, obviously, you know, it's star-studded itself. It, it includes President, future President McKinley, mm -hmm. as well as Rutherford B. Hayes. And, you know, Rosecrans is going to get his star on May 16, 1861, as Brigadier General Star, yeah. exactly one day before U.S. Grant, which yeah. means that Rosecrans is going to have seniority. And... He's going to report to General George McClellan in Western Virginia, and, and it would, he'd, he'd be decisive in those battles of Rich Mountain in July of 1861, where Rosecrans is going to lead those forces that are going to be led by John Pegram. Uh, he's going to beat him, and he's going to cause Pegram to lose 20% of his men. It was a pretty big victory at the time. It's one that George McClellan happily took credit for, by oh, the way, Mary. Oh, big time. You know, it also helped pave the way for the creation of a new state, which will become today West Virginia. Yeah. And but what I have to think, though, Rosecrans was pretty envious of seeing little Max Star rise. Yeah, because it certainly did after the adventures they had together in, in what will become West Virginia. Yeah. You know, Rosecrans is interesting, though, because he was he was a, a couple of things. He was very popular with his men. Mm -hmm. He had a horrific potty mouth, just like you do. I mean, the guy, <laughs> the guy knew a lot of swears. Which did, is funny because right? he's Catholic and he's super, you know, he's he sounds like he's super religious, but he's got this like apparently he could swear as much as like Slocum or Andrew Humphreys could. Well, he did. He was he was very strict, but he was but he was almost like a father figure mm -hmm. for these guys. You know, the thing about Rosecrans, a lot of people don't realize, and people hear this about Chamberlain once in a while. Rosecrans had a really strong stutter. He had a real yeah. problem talking. Especially when he got upset, which apparently he had quite the temper on him and he would like kind of go off on people, but then he would like forget about it, you know, and kind of like things would go back to normal, like nothing happened at all. Well, they said when he got really upset or really nervous is when it came out, they said he sounded like a duck and they couldn't understand a word he was saying. All I can think of is Donald the Donald Duck, Duck voice. I, <laughs> I can't on. do the voice, okay? But they say that's how he sounded. Oh, I always Rosie. thought that, you know, maybe that had something to do with Lincoln's old like a duck stuck on the head insult. Maybe because it's the word duck well, comes up again who with knows? Like, you know, because Rosie, like he did work with Stanton, and we'll talk about this for a period of time before he went to the Western Theater, you know, and obviously they didn't get along, so maybe... Stanton, I mean, shady guy, <laughs> might have said something to him about it. That's what it was. Yeah. You think of how these guys talk, and that was an issue for him. Mm -hmm. So next, the next thing for Rosecrans, he was going to get sent out west. Now, long, not long before, 
U.S. Grant is going to be securing Forts Henry in Donaldson, mm-hmm. and where soon after Grant is going to see his reputation really unfairly, you know, hit by the envious Henry Halleck in, in reports of Grant's drunkenness and his incompetence. All these stories came out about Grant, right, and from Halleck. And really to add to Grant's woes, the only people really, the only person defending him was William Sherman. Yeah. Other subordinates like John McLaren, guys like Lou Wallace, they didn't lift a finger to deny or refute any of these rumors. Honestly, though, I mean, I am team Lou Wallace. I'm not going to like blame Wallace for that, considering how he was treated after Shiloh. Well, I'm not saying no. it was wrong. All I'm saying yeah. is that he didn't exactly have a course of, you know, well, no, I mean, coming out to save that. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean you if know? you're the scapegoat for the Battle of Shiloh, which Lou Wallace was, you're not going to be like, oh, hey, Grant's awesome, you know. Right, but he he was defended by Sherman, which we'll come yeah. back later oh, yeah. on top Absolutely of that. Absolutely was, yeah. But, so Rosecrans is going to arrive at Pittsburgh Landing, which is where Shiloh spot, mm-hmm. on May 23rd, 1862. Now, this is post-Shiloh. Yeah. Okay, Shiloh was, was a month before. And old Rosie is going to join his old friend and classmate, Grant, and he's going to command the right wing of the Department of, of the Mississippi under the command of John Pope. Now, when Rosecrans and Grant met, and again, they were close at this time, they were friends from school, according to adjutant John Rollins. We'll talk about him later on. Grant said, how are you, Rosie, and greeted him warmly. Grant is going to later write, Rosecrans is a warm personal friend and one of the ablest and purest men, both in motive and actions. And he also would say after that John Pope had passed, was you know, passed over, after Grant was passed over by yeah. John Pope by Lincoln, when he needed someone to command that Eastern Theater's Army of Virginia in uh, July of 1862, he said he'd only serve under two men, Rosecrans and Sherman. Yeah. So this goes to show that relationship at the time was still really, really strong. Well, I think it goes uh, back to probably what happened at West Point. You know, there's kind of that. And I wonder if it was almost like a brother thing, right? Because Rosecrans is, um, he's a couple of years older than Grant. And I think it was almost this respectful. He helped me out, you know, this kind of this brother thing that and same with Sherman. Sherman was like a year older than Grant. So I think Grant saw the two of them, even Rosecrans at this time, and he will see Sherman like this for, throughout the entire Civil War. But kind of this brother figure, you know, that yeah. that looked out for him. But I mean, unfortunately, that, that friendship is going to, it's going to kind of end. Mm-hmm. And it's going to lead to a basically a lifelong feud between Grant and Rosecrans. Now, it was kind of around this time, it was, it was set to begin, unfortunately. So September of 1862, the federal outpost on the small town of Yucca, Mississippi, which is about 20 miles, 25 miles southeast of Corinth, is going to fall to General Sterling Price, who he'd been ordered there to head towards Nashville from Braxton Bragg as part of that Kentucky expedition we talked about, mm-hmm. right? Price and his 12,000 men, they're going to move into Iuka and await the arrival of a rebel fun lover named Earl Van Dorn, who we've talked about as well, his army of West Tennessee. Now, the combined forces would certainly be targeting Grant's communications, his lines in that western Tennessee area, because he wants to help hinder the possibility of Don Carlos Buell's army reinforcing him. Mm-hmm. And I would refer you, Mary, to the episode we talked about with Bragg in Kentucky, if you have forgotten, if the mood should strike you. Just saying. Okay. Why <laughs> hey, are you paying attention? But Grant didn't want to wait around, you know, like no. me on a Friday night back in the day here. He wanted to hit Price in Ayuga. He didn't want to sit around. Yeah. So he came up with a plan to hit Ayuga. There you go. Right? 
<laughs> Your little so, word there. So bad. So <laughs> he's going to use those two independent. He's going to use two independent federal columns, both approaching Iuka from two different directions. A classic pincer movement, they call it, mm-hmm. designed to force Price the GTFO out of the area. Now, one column is going to be commanded by Edward Ord. He's going to have sixty-five hundred men. It has, he was going to hit first from the north and from the west. I'm not going to go into too much detail about Ayuka, but just real quick, just telling you how the whole thing yep. went. Okay, The second column is going to be led by Rosecrans, his 9,000 men, who is going to hit second, and he's going to have the responsibility of hitting Price from the south along a road called the Jacinto in the Fulton Roads. Basically, he wanted to, he wanted to stop them from retreating. So Ord's hitting from the north. Mm-hmm. He's going to hit them first. He's going to drive the southerners south, and then Basically, Rosecrans and his 9,000 men are going to block them, and they're going to bag them. They're going to force them in, and that's going to be it. That's the plan. So Orr's going to attack, and basically, it sounds like a pretty good plan. It does. Everything sounds good. Oh, yeah. September 18th of 1862, those two columns are on the move, and these Rebs are sitting there. They're un- completely unspecting. It's like a beer by in the back of the fridge, and you see it, and has no idea what's going to happen Same. to it. You know, But that's, that's kind of what happens. Now, Ors has three divisions, and um, he's going to basically he's going to take the Memphis and the Charleston Railroad. He's going to get off about twelve miles away from Ayuka, where he's going to basically start his march on Sterling Price. Now Rosecrans has two divisions as well. He has to march all the way. He doesn't take the train, and the roads are crappy and they're marshy and it's wooded. Grant will be sitting in the headquarters at a place called Burnsville. Uh, Mississippi, which is about ten miles away or uh, or west, ten miles away west of Bayuca. So he's they're all close; they're not too far away. Now, the ground separating Rosecrans and Grant is swampy and pretty much unpassable. So both Rosecrans and Ord are going to have to stay in contact with Grant by kind of using the cavalry to send um, troops messages back and yeah, forth. Yeah, and that's really shitty terrain to send horses over to. And that's the one thing it, about the the Western theater is that. I mean, Eastern Theater's got some pretty tough, shitty terrain, too. But the Western Theater, oh, my God. Like, you hear so many of the soldiers talk about it all the time in their diaries. No, it, it's bad. And, and so it's it, it's really a nightmare. We talk a lot of these episodes about terrain and communications. This is no different. This is pretty horrible. The plan for both uh, commanders is to really attack almost simultaneously um, the next morning. You're going to have Ord hit first, and you're going to have Rosecrans hit second. And this plan is going to go about as well as a Cleveland Indians playoff game. It's just not going to work. It's going to completely fail in the end. Okay. And and really it's because that swampy terrain, Rosecrans Mm -hmm. is going to be slowed and he's going to end up going off course, which is going to cause um, a lot of, he gets guide. He has Intel from a guide, a local guide who either takes him down the primrose path to get him lost or just lost himself. <laughs> but Ro- but whatever happens, Rosecrans is going to be late and he's going to lead his men astray. So by nightfall on the 18th, now they're going to they're supposed to hit, hit the next morning first thing. By nightfall on the 18th, Rosecrans is still about 15 miles southeast of Iuka. Uh, and so it wasn't going to happen. That attack mm-hmm. wasn't going to happen. Rosie's going to message Grant and he's going to tell him, um, you know, that he's didn't make it that he's going to begin his march to Ayuka again the next morning at 4 30. Okay, yeah. he's still 15 miles away and he'll be ready to attack with Ord sometime in the afternoon. That's the plan. That's what yeah. he's going to say. So Grant is going to get this message. He's going to be pissed off at understandably. 
and he's going to have to change his battle plan. Now, he's going to send a messenger, an adjutant named Clark Legau, to let Orr know. He's going to basically tell him. Now, Legau, this guy, by the way, is fun, too. Later on in Vicksburg, he's the guy who's going to be accused of drinking. And not only that, encouraging Grant to drink. Yep. This, is like his, this is like his wingman he's going to send. Wow. His drinking buddy. He's like me with you. That's who. That's who, who I am. That's right. <laughs> you know. So Ord is gonna is is told not to advance on Ayuka unless he saw Rebs evacuating, and for whatever reason, Grant did not notify Rosecrans of these change in plans. When 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 Ord gets his plans, um, his he's told to, he's going to halt immediately. He's going to say, "Nope, we're stopping right here." Grant is going to claim later that he did tell Rosecrans that there was a change of plans, but, but there was no communication from Rosecrans to, 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 uh, to Rosie that, that's ever been found. So that, you know, take that for what yeah. it's worth. Yeah, the whole battle is so, very – oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, no, just kind of – the whole thing so – right off the bat, this thing's all screwed up. Mm-hmm. So at dawn of the 19th, Rosecrans at 430, what's he going to do? He's going to start moving towards Ayuka just like he, he wanted to do. By noontime, okay – He's about six miles from the town when he stopped. He's going to stop for lunch, and Grant's adjutant, that guy Legau, is going to show up with another guy named Theophilus Dickey, and they're going to arrive to meet with Rosecrans. Now, they're sent from Grant. Now, Grant literally changed his plans right in front of these two guys, Legau and Dickey. He did. Originally, Rosecrans was going to split his men at, this, at the place called Barnett's Crossroads. And he's going to send two brigades east of Cartersville to take that Fulton Road. Now, Rosecrans is going to have to shift his full command north to, just to uh, the Jacinto Road towards Ayuka and then shift east to take that Fulton Road we talked mm-hmm. about to cut off print, uh, Price's escape route. This all hinged on for Rosecrans on Ord attacking at noon as he expected from the day before so he pulled that rebel strength north, so he have an easier road, easier you know to hit hit on the south, and to open those two rows that just sit in the Fulton. That plan works if Ord's going to hit first yeah. and force the rebels south, but it, that doesn't happen. That this new plan now kept Rosecrans from splitting up his army, but he had no reason to think that Ord still wasn't planning to attack from the from the north at noon. Don't forget, Ord is sitting there. Yeah. He's stopped now. Legau and Dickey sat there with Rosecrans and didn't say a word about the change of plans. Legau himself is going to write is going to write to Grant up is going to wrote that Grant's updated battle plan was delivered to Ord, which was to halt his advance mm-hmm. and attack Ayuka after Rosecrans began to attack. So Rosecrans is expecting Ord to attack first. Ord is expecting Rosecrans to attack first. So you can see you can see where this one's going, right? Legau and Dickey asked Rosecrans. They said, "Do you intend to attack it in, in the afternoon?" And Rosecrans said, "Yup." And he's like, "Okay," because that's what he that's what he thought his original order was. Yep. Now he's expecting at any time around noon to hear Ord's guns going off. Okay, doesn't hear it. Rosie is basically reminded, you know, um, that per the order, the main attack was going to begin in the north. Yep. At that, okay. And then it was going to enable him to surprise Price in the Savannah. Ooh, Ooh. right. That's what, that's what he's going to do. <laughs> that's kind of how it's supposed to, that's how it's supposed to happen. 
Dickey is going to later write, Colonel Legow and I were sent by General Grant to visit General Rosecrans and to explain to him the plan of operations. So they're admitting they had the plans. Instead, they wrote to they they rode with Rosecrans literally to the head of the column and didn't say a word of the new plan. And that order was to attack only after Rosecrans opened up, uh, opened up the fight. Yeah. And it's that, and, and they didn't he, Rosecrans didn't know this. No, and, and Iuka, like when you when you look at it, and I mean, I haven't studied it overly in depth. I, I mean, I looked at it obviously a little bit for this episode from Rosecrans' perspective, also Grant's too, and we are going to be doing an episode on it in the very near future. But it is such a confusing battle um, because of the miscommunications. It's not, you know, as studied when it comes to if you read a Grant biography. Ayuka does not get a lot of attention, even though I think it's a it's a big part of his his history. But like the terrain is really bad. You know, you have these two guys um, that are supposed to be relaying messages and it's not happening. Um, and then you also and we'll get to this. But and this is what leads to this rift between Rosecrans and Grant, which is a big part. Uh, it's, it's a part of the history of Rosecrans. So you have to talk about it. But there's 30 hours where Grant doesn't communicate and nobody knows what he's up to right exactly and you, you picture rose poor rosie in the situation you know he he's expecting little resistance right yep and he's thinking this he's gonna have an easy go of it so rosecrans was stunned when he gets to where he's supposed to go and what does he see he's eleven thousand rebel troops staring at him and eight cannon you can only imagine rosecrans was going to later write to his wife during this time not a shot was heard from ord so he's riding in there thinking, I'm just going to wait here and, and wait for the battle. And he sees 11,000 of Price's guy just staring at him. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, right? Yep. Dickie and Legow, the two guys, they actually hung around for 30 minutes to watch the battle start instead of racing back to Grant oh to God. let him know what the hell was <laughs> going on. Now, and, and, it's, and it, this is basically – this is – Thinking this is going to give Grant time to perhaps move Orden, yeah. but he doesn't do it because they're going to watch the battle. They're going to sit back, get their popcorn going, yeah. and watch the first couple of innings of the game before they head out. Oh my God. That's kind of what they do. It's so bad. Now, when Dickie and Lakeau finally get back, head back to Grant's headquarters, guess what? They get lost on the way. Because of Shocker. course they do. They end up falling down a ravine. Okay. And they finally pull out their F this cards and set up camp for the night. <laughs> The hell with this is ridiculous. So, so they, they didn't do what D.H. Back. Hill did. D.H. Hill at nope. Chickamauga was like, well, I'm just going to sleep here on the rock. So so as this battle's going on, Rosecrans is going in alone, and he's busier than you at the DQ on a summer's day. <laughs> and the Rebs, the Rebs succeeded in, guess what, cutting off Rosecrans' escape yep. route on the Fulton Road. So the whole thing is, is, is dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria now. Yep. The whole thing just went off the rail. The next morning, Rosecrans battered division wakes up to discover Sterling Price evacuated the dance floor. They took off and they, they move south. Rosecrans at this point is going to enter the town of Ayuka completely uncontested. Um, and this is where he goes wrong because he doesn't go chase Price down. He sets up camp in the town and says, yeah. put my feet up and take it easy. The hell with this. And he's going to, He's going to sit in the town. He's going to wait for word from Ord or Grant. And to yeah. your point, he hasn't heard a word from 
either of them no. this All entire the, time. The, in 30 hours, the only message that is sent from Grant's headquarters is a message to let them know about the Battle of Antietam. And that has been signed by staff officers uh, for Grant. Yeah. So it's not even known if Grant even sent it, but he's been, there's, there's a 30 hour gap that we really don't know what Grant was up to. Yes. Rosie's going to turn to one of his subordinates, David Stanley. We've talked about David Stanley before. Yeah. He's going to turn to David Stanley. He's going to yell, where in the name, where in the name of God is Grant? Uh, he probably he said something different. Well, probably. He, he, he <laughs> swore, but that, that's, what he, that's what he wrote down. So Rosecrans had sent a message to Grant through the cavalry, and the messenger arrived at the headquarters in Burnsville right around the same time as Dickie and Legal finally showed up the next morning. They all kind of got there around the same time. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, this was the first time Grant had heard anything of the previous Battle of Iuka. And this is probably around 10 o'clock in the morning now. At one point, it, it, you know, um, at this point, Grant is going to order, is going to order Ord, say that three times fast, to get get your ass to Iuka, ASAFP, yeah. Yeah. get down there. Mm -hmm. And when Ord arrives, finally, Rosecrans was pissed. You can only imagine the colorful adjectives and adverbs thrown at him. He's going to say to, he's going to say to Ord, you know, why did you leave me in the lurch? And at that point, Ord is going to hand him the revised plans from Grant that he hadn't seen before. And he's going to go, huh, okay, well, this, 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 is, this is interesting because yeah. this is completely different. Predictably, Rosie lost it, lost it. And this began <laughs> that lifetime feud with Grant because he never forgave him for this. No. Because he, 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 he was left holding, holding his diaper in the rain. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. And nobody would kind of back down from what happened either. You know, no. nobody would be like, oh, it was his fault or whatever. You know, nobody's going to say it was all miscommunication because of the train, because of whatever. But also, you know, it doesn't help that Grant disappears for 30 hours and nobody knows where he is. Well, I mean, who who knows? Who knows? But Ord, though, was just four miles away the entire time. Yeah. He's going to claim he didn't he didn't hear the battle because yeah. it was an acoustic so that's the shadow. Acoustic sh the acoustic right. shadow. And, and that, that's probably true because it yeah. happens a lot. But he did say he saw the smoke rising from Ayuka and assumed it was Price burning all his materials while he was retreating the town. So who the hell knows? But if you're Rosecrans... You have you have questions. I've got questions. Yeah, oh, I, would, I, I would have questions. I mean, and these are questions to this day still exist. One, why didn't Ord attack? Okay, why didn't Grant update? You know, why wasn't he updated as the attack was mm -hmm. underway? Why did Grant alter his plans and not notify him? That's a big one, right? And another big one: Why the hell didn't Colonel Legow and Dickey not tell him of the change? while they were visiting with him yep your dad your guess is as good as mine with these ones but that's a communication issue that we're dealing with here grant assumed zero blame for any of it mm -hmm. he told major general benjamin hurlbut couriers lost the dispatches sent to me from rosecrans which was later proven to be completely untrue yep. grant is going to write to his sister mary about Ayuka. another mary they're all over the place he's going to write I have no more to do with troops under Ord than I had under Rosecrans, and but gave orders to both, both knowing the nature of the ground, direction of the wind, and General Rosecrans having been so far behind where he was expected to be on the morning for the attack, it failed. 
So what does he do? He put throws Rosie under the bus for Yeah. Yeah, he does. And in 1874, Rosecrans is living in, I think he's in California at this time. And it's the, you know, 11th anniversary of the Battle of Chickamauga, but it's also the 12th anniversary of the Battle of Iuka. And what does he say to his wife? He starts talking about how could Grant just leave me? And then he says to his wife, how could Grant lie about it? Well, that's the that's the thing, too. And it was like, this wasn't a hundred percent to zero percent, you know, type of faction in the north no. either. There was a lot of anti-Grant sentiment there from was this. At the time. Now, now there's not who you know. Did Grant not hear it? Possibly and probably. Do you not know what was going on? Was a communication? Um, who the hell knows? I, I don't. I, you know, Rosecrans' account is probably not a hundred percent true either. But no. the reality is, Grant he he rosecrans for whatever reason felt that he was left alone and a lot of other troops were pissed at grant about this as well a captain from missouri he's going to write and he, this guy obviously doesn't like grant he's going to write general grant was dead drunk and couldn't bring up the army i was so mad when i first heard, learned the facts that i could have shot grant if i saw him oh if God. i wouldn't have been if i wouldn't have been hung the next minute so he was this he was pretty pissed off pretty passionate about it wow but this is going to lead to a story in a pair of newspapers yes. in Cincinnati about this. The Cincinnati commercial mm-hmm. is going to accuse Grant of being drunk in an op-ed from a writer named William Bickham, who openly hated him anyway. So yep. you take that with a grain of salt. And then the Cincinnati Gazette, right? Yep. Now, they've been all over Grant's in Shiloh. Yeah, Whitelaw Reed a- is the specific reporter that is, White Law is Reed, writing that. Right. And he's going to write a hatchet job story on U.S. Grant, so he didn't like him. And he was also close friends with Rosecrans. Yeah. Now, most in the Army felt Rosecrans was the source of both newspapers' stories against Grant. And that's, for whatever true, that's how it's going to believe. Grant supporters certainly came out to support Grant. Colonel Mortimer Leggett, mm-hmm. talked about him before, he wrote, I've been vexed and pained of late of the effort to strengthen the in, the unjust prejudice against Grant. General Rosecrans is an excellent officer, and I hope he is not party in this hellish attempt to ruin General Grant's, but the evidence is such that he is privy to the whole devilish scheme. Yeah. And, That's what he's going to write. And I think Leggett is also the one that goes to John Rollins and starts telling him about this. And instead of going to Grant, Rollins goes to Julia, and is like, here's what's going on. And Rollins starts spinning this thing to her. Oh, I shouldn't say spinning, but just he starts kind of saying, maybe you can tell Grant to have Rose, like to relieve Rosecrans. That's what he starts mm-hmm. putting to, to her. So at this point, there is very much an anti Rosecrans faction and an anti Grant faction in the Western theater. Yep. And it start it started over what happened at Iuka. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, for the most part, you know, Grant was, you know, he was pissed at Rosecrans as well for, like I said before, not pursuing prices Confederates yep. and instead of parking his hindquarters at Iuka. Rosecrans had a habit. He did of prioritizing territory mm-hmm. instead of over armies which was a, it continued all the way through his career. We saw later yep. on, especially at Stones River, when he sat there for six months afterwards. And yep, and the Braddock. obsession with getting Chattanooga, of getting... Right, and, he, right. Yeah. and he, he did. So this is, Rosecrans is no angel with this either, but you can see that you can see the factions forming with mm-hmm. this. 
Grant wanted Price's army destroyed, and failing to do so at Iuka, as he also did in Corinth, by the way, speaking of that, it added fuel to that personal fight between the two that just kept going and going and going. Yep. Right. Now, Rosecrans did a lot of things on his own accord, too, without Grant's, without Grant's permission. Um, he offered, he gave away promotions to people without without yep. authorization. He also freed rebel prisoners without authority, and that was another thing that pissed Grant off. He yep. was that he was doing this. It was um, it was Grant who also accused Rosecrans of leaking to those stories to the press, not the two Cincinnati ones, but also other stories uh, uh, you know, about drinking, about army placement, yep. and. And this is when Rosecrans finally lost the cheese oh, fell yeah. off his cracker with this, when he finally said, I'm, I'm done with this. Yeah. And he, he's going to write a, a letter to Grant that isn't going to be too happy either. No, and he basically, like, he just says, how can you say this about me? This isn't, you know, this isn't what I've done. It's not what my staff has done. And he he just finally lays it out for Grant, like, this is not how it went. Yeah, he, he writes, to the par which refers to newspapers and leaky members of my staff, yeah. I answer that there are no headquarters less responsible for what newspaper correspondents say of my operations. And then he writes, to the affairs of Ayuka and Corinth, I am forced to say that if you do not meet me frankly with a declaration that you are satisfied, I shall consider my power to be useful in this department ended. This is a relationship that was heading to a divorce so fast that even J-Lo would have been shocked. That's all, okay? <laughs> yeah, it is so just, you know, and Grant said as a, sub, um, you know, Grant said of him as a subordinate, I found I could not make him do as I wish. So basically saying, well, Rosecrans isn't following my orders. Um, and Grant, uh, you know, I think in some ways, like he was kind of, it's like, okay, is he determined to relieve him of duty because of this? At this, it's around this time after Corinth, which, you know, that's October third or fourth, eighteen October third to fourth, eighteen sixty-two. It's a victory, but again, they lose the Army of West Tennessee, which is led by Earl Van Dorn. Rosecrans takes Corinth, but Grant's not happy with that because it's like that's in in his mind, his philosophy behind the war. It's not about taking these places; it's about bagging the army so why didn't you bag the army of western tennessee and, and that's that's something grant really saw that most other yes generals did. that's where he and was kind of ahead of the game on stuff right. is that and you know lincoln was would would pound his head saying you know you're and you saw it later on with with, with other battles but yeah grant had the force of knowing mm-hmm. that the enemy was the army it was not the land it was not the territory but you know you know what you do when you when you want to get rid of somebody in, in real life here, you know you, you promote them, right? Yep. And Rosecrans, he he gets promoted and he's made commander of the Army of the Cumberland. And right. so he's gonna go, but before he does that, he goes to meet with Rosecrans. And at that meeting, I think Rosecrans kind kinda comes away thinking the issue has been resolved between the two. It was. Of them, I mean- that that Rosecrans has finally said, look. I'm not going to talk to the newspaper reporters and neither are my staff. So please stop accusing me of that. No, it was, I mean, they were, they was, they were both happy to be moving on from each other. Sherman, yeah. he's going to write Grant was relieved as much as disappointed in him. He was happy that he was, that he was going. Yep. Um, Sherman and, was and also so, shocked at what had happened too. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's interesting. So you mentioned that meeting when Rosecrans stopped by 
And he went there to defend himself and basically say everything you're hearing is not true. He specifically pointed out that Mortimer Leggett quote mm-hmm. and said this this is this is this is ridiculous. But Grant, you know, he would have, for whatever reason, he basically said, you know, he said Rosie felt that he said Grant told him that his 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 behavior was perfect. He was perfectly satisfactory. Mm-hmm. And but he's like, and so that they felt like Rosie that things were okay, but Grant clearly wasn't. No. They kind of was one of those, you know, how are you doing? I'm fine. I get that a lot. One of those deals, right? What? And you, it sounds like maybe you're it's probably not fine, but but that's how you feel. Yeah. For whatever reason, Rosie felt it was fine. Probably didn't get a whatever. He probably just got it. I'm fine. But that's kind of what happened. <laughs> but Rose, Rose Krantz finds himself now, Mary, in charge of a huge army, the yeah. army of the Carmelin. And he has an outstanding set of subordinates with him. He's got George Thomas. Who he's very he's good Ale- friends with. Right. Alexander Chucklehead McCook. He's got yep. the old Chucklehead with him. Yep. As well as Thomas Crittenden, right? Mm-hmm. So he was implored by Lincoln, for the love of God, I need fighters. And the expectation is that you are going to fight and you're going to attack Braxton Bragg's Army of the Tennessee as soon as you can. Now, this is going to result in the Battle of Stones River on December 31st of 1862, which <clears throat> we did a whole story on this one a long, yep. long time ago. But it was a much-needed Union victory at the time coming off of a bloodbath of Antietam, slow crawl of Grant's heading into Vicksburg. Yeah. And it was a victory. Some people say it wasn't, but Grant- it was. Grant allegedly, he says it was not a victory. I, I believe that is what is recorded in Gideon Wells's diary from the meeting that happened on April the 14th, 1865. Um, what happened there is Lincoln is talking about a dream he had, and he said, oh, it's the same dream I've had before the, these victories. And he mentioned Stones River, and Grant is sitting there. He's like, Stones River was not a victory. And it's recorded in Gideon Wells's diary. So it's allegedly he said that. But, I mean, my opinion is Stones River is a victory because they prevent the confederates from taking nashville because if the confederates had taken nashville that would have been a whole other shit show to deal with on top of vicksburg but the one thing that does happen at stones river that we do need to mention that is going to play into the battle chickamauga is that at stones river rosecrans is going to be out riding with his friend garage who is also part of the army and garage is going to get hit by a cannon and killed instantly in front of Rosecrans. And Rosecrans is so close to him, he had his has his blood splattered all over his jacket. Mm-hmm. And Rosecrans will cut those the buttons off that jacket and carry those buttons around with him for the rest of his life because that was one of his best friends. And he's killed in front of him. And that mm-hmm. is going to play into something that happens to him at the Battle of Chickamauga that we will talk about. Yeah, just Julius Peter Goresh, he basically, he was from Cuba, but he was Catholic, just like Rosecrans mm-hmm. was. So he had a spe- special kinship to him. And and, the, and the, obviously that was that was the downside of this. But he, Rosecrans had a lot of good publicity after the battle. So it plays into that. If, if Grant didn't feel it was a victory, everybody else seemed to. Harper Magazine, they wrote about this. They said the strategist Grant, I mean, the, the, the strategist Rosecrans, has proved himself second to none. The New York Times wrote, whatever his future may be, it cannot be denied that at present, General Rosecrans stands at the very head of all Union generals. So the press loved Rosecrans after Stones River. Um, the, the, you know, for, for Rosecrans, it was obviously a bittersweet thing. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for, you know, for Gresh, this was, his, this was his first time he'd seen battle. This is the first time he yeah. saw this. 
Um, after he died, William Hazen is going to pull his West Point ring off of him and his Bible is going to give it to um, to Rosecrans. So you can imagine the, the sadness of this. But you have to keep was. it. But Rosecrans couldn't, like when it happened, he, he had to keep going. And the one thing about Rosecrans at, at Stones River, you know, as much as like, you know, Sheridan is one of the ones that does kind of save the day for the Union. He's the one fighting against Claiborne you know, on that, that road, but, but Rosecrans is out riding on the front lines, encouraging the troops after he's seen his friend get killed. And that, yeah, that is like, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> that's something right there about who he was as a commander, I think. Yeah. I mean, who, and who knows to what extent that, that death affected him personally. And, yep. and by all accounts, it affected him deeply. And likely stayed with him for the rest of his life, and certainly the rest of his military. Well, he career. carries the buttons around with him from that jacket that he was he does. And, when he was shot. And, and by this point, you know they, these guys have seen a lot of death and a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that's that personal death of Julius Goresh was it was a bit was a big big deal, you know. And then, but what happens after the battle? Rosecrans again, he's not going to pursue Bragg, but choose to set up that winter camp in Murfreesboro. We yeah. talked about. He's going to sit there for a long time, for six months, and 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 so that's going to drive people like Lincoln crazy. And it wasn't until that Tullahoma campaign that Rosecrans' army finally chased Bragg into yeah. Georgia. But again, he failed to destroy Bragg's army of Tennessee, and it's going to cost him dearly letting him get off the mat this time, oh, right? It Remember? is. And I mean, the Tullahoma campaign, and um, you remember, we did some episodes about it. <laughs> With John Wilder? <laughs> yeah, John Wilder. Lightning Brigade? <laughs> Minty and Wilder. Yeah, they were in it. Uh, June 24th to July 3rd, 1863. It's considered to be one of the most brilliant campaigns of the Civil War. Uh, Lincoln would refer to it as the most splendid strategy I know. And it's very low casualties. It forces Bragg to retreat back to Chattanooga. Um, you know, it's when we see kind of the... Uh, the formation of Wilder's Lightning Brigade that will perform so well along with Minty at the Battle of Chickamauga. You know, we have the mounted infantry coming about during this. Uh, Wilder goes off on a raid and comes back with no casualties. It's it's really quite an interesting campaign to study, but it is something that I, I don't think uh, Rosecrans gets enough credit for. But again, he's not, you know... The, the criticism is he has not bagged that army of Tennessee. He's just driven, what he's done is he's driven Bragg into Chattanooga. But now right. the goal after Tullahoma is how do we get Chattanooga? Because Chattanooga, as we've talked about many times, that is what Lincoln saw as being the most important city in the Confederacy at the time. You have Vicksburg being taken and Lincoln saw Vicksburg as the key. Um, you know, and once Vicksburg was taken, Lincoln said the, the father of waters now flows on Vex to the sea. So they have that. The next city to get is Chattanooga, because if you get Chattanooga, you're going to get Atlanta and so on. You're going to get into the heartland of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. And, and he also has Bragg over a barrel heading into that late summer of 1863. Yeah. You know, Bragg and his army of Tennessee is, is reeling. I mean, the series of defeats they have, they got the political infighting going on that's going to come out worse down the road. But he's dealing with, with all this crap. Um, just, you know, 
just as Rosecrans army was with, you know, with the Cumberland, I mean, army of the Cumberland, same, same kind of deal. Bragg will focus his army in a place called Lafayette, Georgia, yep. instead of, instead of spreading them out throughout Tennessee and Georgia, his plan is, we're going to talk the total details of the battle of Chickamauga, but his plan is basically to cross the Chickamauga Creek to defeat Rosecrans and recapture the city of Chattanooga. In a nutshell, that's pretty much it. Yep. But thanks to a pissing match back east between Robert E. Lee and James Longstreet, Longstreet is going to be sent west to join Bragg's army. <laughs> like that and, pissing match. Right? <laughs> so is D.H. Hill. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so he'll he'll have a division of John Bell Hood and our old friend Bushrod Johnson will be, will be back in town. And what this, this does, it evens the tilt now so the, the Confederates actually have more men. Yeah. 65,000 to 60,000. So the, the balance is now you got a strong commander in Longstreet, you got a, a fighter in, in Hood, um, D.H. Hill, Bush. You, you have some good players on the field now. And Rosecrans is going to sniff out this plan, though. He's going to figure out Bragg's plan. But, you know, again, we have the whole thing with the first day with, with um, the Lightning Brigade. Minty and Wilder basically force Bragg to change his right. plan. But, the, the you know, the problem is, is Rosecrans, he does get a little bit arrogant going into Chickamauga by spreading his army out too thin. And Thomas, his very good friend, has been telling uh, telling him, oh, no, you don't want to do that. And he's right. Like, he gets them spread out too thin. But Minty and Wilder, what they do on that first day of Chickamauga on September the 18th, 1863, is they slow Bragg down enough. Um, and also, they force him to alter his plan. But, you know, Rosecrans kind of, the, the way it's it's been described in, in one book I read, it's like kind of leapfrogging his army back to mm-hmm. Chattanooga. Because at that point, you just have Crittenden for the Union sitting in Chattanooga. And they need them all back there. So... September 19th, they're all back there. And that's, you know, kind of the second day of the Battle of Chickamauga. Yeah. You know, but in the highlight, of course, of September is the September 20th. September 20th, that's 20th be the big is, day. is the day where this is where it literally and figuratively collapses for Rosecrans. And this is kind of the major event in his military career that is, it, it sadly does lead to kind of the, his demise in the military um, but September 20, 20th, 1863 is known as the breakthrough. And that's because Thomas J. Wood is ordered to close up and support General Joseph J. Reynolds' division in order to fill what is an assumed gap. Except there is no gap. Um, and Wood gets this order and he's standing around with it and he's like, WTF, you know. And, you know, people around him are saying, dude, you've got to obey this because you're one step away from being court-martialed. Because uh, the thing with Wood is Wood was kind of like, he had a big mouth. Uh, he spoke uh-huh. out against his, his you know, you know his commanding officers and all this other stuff. But, but Rosecrans had went and dressed him down that morning, I think, and basically been like, dude, you need to calm the fuck down. And like, you know, just for some, Wood had done something that had pissed Rosecrans off. And, you know, Rosecrans is the type of guy, he got pissed off. But then within like five minutes, he's like, oh, I'm fine. Everything's cool. Like, let me buy you a beer kind of thing. But Wood had been but dressed he had, Yeah, he had, he had that he, he could. This he point, couldn't, oh, he, he couldn't disobey it. He, he was like, to. all right, I, I'm going to do it. Fine. You know, he had to move his, 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 his it was his division, right? And what Woods knew, Wood knew it was a mistake, and by yep. by doing that, by by moving his army to to fill a gap, what he did is he created a gap. Yeah. And that that that's and that went from there, and and so, and so 
this gap is it's going to lead to hood John breaks Bell Hood. Through, hood breaks he he breaks through that and he breaks through that gap faster than the time it takes for Joe Burrow to score against Buffalo. That's how quick it is. He and, goes, and then, sorry, go ahead. Okay, so he he bursts right through, and what happens is Chickamauga now turns into that disaster for Rosecrans because his men they're driven from the field towards the town. You have the, you have George Thomas. He's going to have his famous stand at Stongrass Hill and yep. Horseshoe Ridge. But the reality, but but the writing's on the wall at this point. Now, Thomas's men are holding, holding the line, so the other men can evacuate to Chattanooga, including Rosecrans, who I don't want to say criminally was not up front. He was in the he went to Chattanooga and he went to the town. Yep. He wasn't up front with his men, um, and that and that and that's 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 not good because no. And that's going to ultimately be a huge mistake by Rosecrans, both professionally and personally now. Yeah, yeah. and and the thing is that that, that order that Wood got, we don't 100% know who wrote that order. Um, it probably wasn't Rosecrans. You know, my opinion, it might have been Garfield, but we don't and, know. And, and, I mean, it could have been someone on Garfield's staff. It could have been an adjutant. Yeah, because Garfield but, but, does throw Rosecrans under the bus. It, at the happens. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, whoever whoever wrote that order would have had no choice but to obey it. Yeah. And and so, it, it, like you know, the fog of war. I mean, the, the flash of battle. Who, who the hell knows? But after Chickamauga, it's going to set down a domino of effects. Now that's not going to yeah. end well for Rosie, Joseph Hooker, good masshole, Mary from Massachusetts. Yeah. He and his fifteen thousand men are going to be sent over to Chattanooga. By Edwin Stanton. Yep. He's also going to send U.S. Grant to send an additional 20,000 men under William Sherman, who had been in Vicksburg. Now they're all converging on Chattanooga. Oh, and by the way, Mary, he wants Grant to go to Chattanooga personally. Yep. He's going to give him the option of keeping Rosecrans or getting rid of Rosecrans. I will give you a dollar if you tell me what you think he did. You're fired. He got fired, okay? Grant is still has a raging hate on for Rosecrans yep. at this point, and he is now he has actual cause to get rid of him. He's going to dump Rosecrans' army of the commander of the Cumberland, and he's going to replace him with George Thomas. And Thomas is going to that. do his thing. Like, big surprise, shocker of all shocker. No, but imagine will... that. Like Thomas is so close with Rosecrans, and imagine being Thomas in that position and like, okay, you know. Well, he like, was a logical choice, though. I mean, he was oh, the ab- best absolutely he was, but I can't imagine right? personally, you know, thinking of them as a human, like, wow, my uh, one of my close friends just totally got fired and um, I got promoted. You know, yeah. how, how does that, you know, how does that play into the situation? That's why I wish, <laughs> you know, we had more of Thomas's writings to, to see yeah. how he maybe felt about that whole situation. And maybe they are, you know, in the OR or something like that. Maybe there's something that indicates how he felt about that. Oh, yeah. But Grant's going to send word to Rosecrans that he's he's been fired. Uh, and, and Rose, he's going to be leaving. Rose, Rosecrans will be heading north back to Cincinnati, it, doing his walk of shame back yep. to the Queen City. And around this time, is Grant is coming down to, into Chattanooga, and guess what? They're going to bump into each other. Yeah. Because of course they are, right? And they're going to talk about Rosecrans' cracker line that he had come up with, that plan with Baldy Smith. Yeah. And to help break that southern blockade to allow food and supplies to get into the city to, for the Union troops who were being starved out there. And, you know, and that that brings up controversy as well, because that 
it brings up that contrast of who came up with that cracker line yeah. plan, which was very, very successful. And most people think it was Rosecrans with with uh, Baldy Smith, and some people think it was Grant. Who the hell knows? My but opinion is day- it was it was Rosecrans and Baldy Smith, and a little bit of Thomas as well. And then yeah, Grant Grant needs a little bit of credit too. I'm sure he was able to somehow tweak it and improve upon it. But you know, to leave Rosecrans out of that is honestly, I think it's unfair because you don't know 100. percent yeah, I, I think it's probably, you know, it's, it's probably Rosecrans and Smith realistically. Yeah, with, yeah with I think it is definitely Rosecrans and Baldy Smith. You know, but I mean, Rosecrans, his story, his story doesn't end there, though it continues. Nope. You know, he's going to toil around Missouri for a bit as commander of Department mm-hmm. of Missouri in January of 1864. He got to chase around his old Iuka nemesis, Sterling Price, for the most part. But for the most part, Rosecrans' combat days are over at that yep. point. Um, despite that, you know, that ignominious end with Grant, Rosecrans is going to actually be considered for political office during this time, Mary. A matter of fact, his old Chickamauga friends and former chief of staff, James Garfield, who is running the Ohio presidential delegation, is going to kick Rosie's tires to see if he'd be interested in running as Abraham Lincoln, the guy with the hat, as his vice president nominee in the 1864 election as a Democrat. Right. By all accounts, Rosecrans kind of said, well, maybe he had a little bit of interest in it. Mm He will send a message back to Washington, and for whatever reason, um, it, whatever became it, no one knows, but Andrew Johnson, of course, becomes Veep. Yep. There were some rumors in Washington, D.C. that other, no, none, none other than Edward Stanton received the telegram from Rosecrans, and somehow it fell off the truck, and no one Shocker. saw it. Again, um, Stanton's shady guy, but I mean, could you imagine how different history might be? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You get what you pay for, right? On January 15, 1866, Rosecrans is going to finally be mustered out of the volunteer army. And not long later, he's going to be appointed as U.S. Minister of Mexico by President Johnson. Mm-hmm. And I know this is going to surprise you, Mary, okay? But um, he held that office until President U.S. Grant took over after he was inaugurated. And guess what U.S. Grant did? Hosted him. He fired him again. <laughs> He fired, oh he fired Rose Cranch yes. from, from the minister. So, so I mean, I swear, I mean, the thing, I mean, I love U.S. Grant. I have a lot of respect for him. Amazing guy. He's one of the reasons, you know, like end of the Civil War uh, with with what he did. But, man, when you got in Grant's doghouse, unless your name was, was Sherman or Sheridan, like, sorry, Grant people, but you don't ever get out of that doghouse. I mean, I oh. don't even think... I mean, he kind of apologizes to Lou Wallace's memoirs, but was Lou Wallace ever at a Grant's doghouse? No, I mean it's it's oh, not no. the most it's not the most unusual thing for a president to replace the previous guy's people. Yeah, I know, and but so, this so, like this looks still, like this I mean, looks this I'm is sh- personal. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I'm sure it didn't it didn't break Grant's heart to do so. But by then, Rosecrans was a name, and as as a and as a war Democrat, he was approached by a lot of different people to run for office, mostly governors, admittedly. And and he said no to everybody. Yeah. And by this by the time by this time of his life, he must have been so sick of the bullshit, sick of the politics. He just said no. Anybody who asked said no. As a matter of fact, he earned the nickname of the Great Decliner for saying no so often. Wow. A friend a friend of mine in college dated a girl he used to call a Great Decliner too, and I didn't even know she was even into politics. So that's <laughs> the weirdest thing how that is. But Rosie had different Rosie had different plans though. Yeah. Some, someone told him that California is the place he ought to be, so he loaded up his truck and he moved to Beverly <laughs> Hills, that is. Oh, my God. So that Ro- needs to be a meme. 
Rosecrans is going to move to the small town of Los Angeles yeah. in 1969, where there must have been plenty of great land because he bought 16,000 acres up. Ironically, it's it's not too far from where the LA Rams Super Bowl team play. I mean, the, uh, the football team plays now, right in that same area. He paid two fifty an acre for this land. He paid forty thousand dollars, which is about eight hundred seventy-five thousand dollars today. Shit. Here's what I want you to do, Mary. When we get done, I want you to call the Century Twenty One office in LA. They're probably still open, what? and say you want to buy sixteen thousand. You want to buy sixteen thousand acres downtown in LA for eight seventy-five. See what they say to you. Okay, just no. okay. People thought Rosecrans was crazy to buy this land back in the day because mm -hmm. there was no natural spring nearby. Yeah. They thought it was worthless land, but Rosecrans built his house on it and he called it Rosecrans Rancho. That's what he called oh it. Oh my god, that sounds like a sitcom so, or something. Sounds like a bad Mexican place you go. <laughs> Make sure go running right for the Pepto after you have to go to Rosecrans Rancho. But he, but he must have got bored sitting around the beach because in 1880, at age 61, Rosecrans is going to decide to get back into politics again. This time as a state rep, and soon Rosie found himself elected as the congressman representing the California's first district, beating incumbent Republican, a guy named Horace Davis, by exactly yeah. 1,509 votes. Real close to the election. So Rosie now is a, is a representative. Back in Washington, he became chairman of the U.S. Um, House Military Affairs Committee, and it's clear that his attitude towards Grant had not softened at all. No, he no, had not. So in his role, Rosecrans, um, he got to do a lot of different things. And what does he do? He does not vote to give Grant funds. He publicly opposes a military pension for Grant. Grant at this time saw most of his assets depleted. He was living on just $6,000 a year. I know it's a lot more now even with yeah. inflation, but, but Grant did not have a lot of money. Rosecrans publicly opposed giving him a pension. And, he's, and according to Rosecrans, he writes of Grant – Many of his claims from the war were lies, and he knew they were lies wow. when he made them. That's what he said when he was giving him his pension. So he, you know, his attempt though failed because it was the bill passed. Grant yeah. got his pension, but finally, after two terms, Rosecrans is going to leave Congress in 1884 and return to California again, and he's going to sign on as a regent at the University of California. Mm -hmm. So he's he's going to get back in education again, and. But soon he ends up getting the itch again to get back into U.S. government. He ends up being named registrar of the U.S. Treasury. So he's going to hold that role from 1885 to 1893, which meant that every dollar bill that was issued in that time had his name on it. Oh. If you look at the dollar bill as a signature on it, oh. that signature was the, is the job Rosecrans had. That would be so cool to have one of those. So you could look, look up the bills and get a Rosie autograph, right? And, but, but, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say, so he, so he was getting back into that. So it's, it's, so it's pretty simple. Pretty, I don't know why I think about that, but it's pretty yeah. cool to see the signature on there that Rose Chris would have been the guy. But. Yeah. And he also, um, going back to Chickamauga, he spoke at a grand reunion of veterans North and South um, on September 19th, 1889, delivered a very moving address there. And then a year later, Congress established Chickamauga and Chattanooga National Military Park as mm -hmm. the nation's first national battlefield park. 
Yep. So that is pretty cool that he had a hand in that, even though that is the battle, which was really, you know, kind of, I don't want to say it's his downfall because, you know, my opinion is he had a lot going on at that time. And there was something that President Lincoln said after that battle about Rosecrans. And he said it to John Hay. So I think it was kind of said in private, not meant to be seen by anybody. And of course, because Nicolay and Hay published their papers, it was eventually seen. But Lincoln said that after the Battle of Chickamauga, Rosecrans seemed confused and stunned like a duck head hit on the head. And I used to think that was kind of like, oh, that's just Lincoln's sense of humor. But I kind of see it in a way, my opinion, it's more of an insult um, because I think Lincoln didn't really understand what was going on at the time, like how chaotic things were. But also, I think given what happened to Rosecrans at Stones River with seeing one of his best friends, like Garrosh, killed in front of him very horrifically, um, his mental, (laughs) the, the tread on his tires had worn down. And it's my opinion that, you know, it wasn't diagnosed at the time, but I think Rosecrans probably did have PTSD at Chickamauga. And that's why he, he reacted the way he did. Um, He was also going off of no sleep Uh leading into Chickamauga. But I think if you look at the Rosecrans, we saw at something like Rich Mountain, um, even at something like Iuka, Corinth, and even at Tullahoma, which Lincoln said was, you know, absolutely brilliant. It's not the same Rosecrans we see that, you know, on September 20th, 1863 at, at Chickamauga. And I think he takes um, a lot of criticism for that. But, you know, he had been through a lot by that point and, and no doubt all of them had. But I think for him, that was kind of when the tread had worn off and he probably had PTSD by that point. And it was just kind yeah. of a, a moment for him where he was like, I can't do it anymore. Well, there's only so much, so much you can take, but yeah. he, he does finally, he finally does retire for good on September 9th, um, 1893. And he's going to enjoy those golden years in California. He's going to get an award called the Latare Award mm-hmm. from a, uni- a university in South Bend, Indiana that shall go nameless. And for Notre an outstanding, oh, God, for outstanding service from the Catholic Church. Uh, in 1896, President Kennedy, JFK, actually got this award too in 1961. You know, down, down the road a little bit, but you know, his he's getting older. In February of 1898, Rosecrans is going to come down with pneumonia, but it seems like he beat it. Everything seems like he he was doing pretty well. Yeah. But one of his grandchildren, his name was Rosecrans Tool, the son of uh, the son of um the son of his daughter Lily, Rose, uh, his name Rosecrans Tool, who unexpectedly died of diphtheria. And by all accounts, the death of, of his grandson crushed him. This was this was his final light. This was this was it. Now, for a man who'd seen so much death in his life, um, the death of of, of, uh, of Rosecrans' tool was 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 the final straw. Yeah. And William Rosecrans is going to die himself on March eleventh, eighteen ninety eight, in Redondo Beach, California. And you know his um his body is going to lie in state at Los Angeles City Hall, with a casket. Is going to be covered with the battle flag from the Battle of Stones River and Chickamauga yeah. on it. He's going to be buried in L.A., but eventually he's going to be dug up and moved in 1908 to Arlington National Cemetery, where he's still there today. And the thing about him, though, is that his legacy remains truly in the eye of the beholder with this. Yeah. For some, 
He's a brilliant inventor, a genius, um, outstanding soldier and politician. For others, he was a backstabbing opportunist, foul mouth, over pious guy who could carry a grudge, um, you know, towards Grant as long as he was alive. But for someone like William Rosecrans, it's important to read as many sources as possible with him. And whatever his legacy is, is really what you want it to be in American mm -hmm. history. Because that's what's good about this, is you can read different things, get different perspectives. But for someone like Rosecrans, you have to understand that there's a lot of competing factors in this to push him down, yep. whether real or perceived. And I think that when you look into his details, you realize that he was somebody who could have done a lot bigger things, but for whatever reason, um, politics, the PTSD thing, if that's true, all of these things held him down and really denied the Union a solid general down the stretch as mm -hmm. the war kind of came to an end. And I, and I think that's, I always felt that was kind of sad about him. Yeah. So I always thought he was somebody who was underappreciated and got the shit end of a stick by a lot of different people. No, I, I completely agree with you. I think he definitely did. I think, you know, a lot of, you know, what happened to him is just, it's like, you just need to look more into who Rosecrans was. So read beyond, you know, Grant's memoirs and all that. And, and also too, just because, you know, we're saying that Rosecrans deserves more recognition. We're not trying to push Grant down at all. Grant deserves where he is in the historical record. Grant is a victor. He's an amazing general. We just see Rosecrans as, you know, he's he's up there with him. He He's one of the reasons, you know, early on the Union had successes. He's one of the reasons the the state of West Virginia was formed. You know, he had early successes in the Civil War. Tullahoma is a brilliant campaign. Stones River, in my opinion, is a victory. And in my opinion, too, Rosecrans is a person who suffered from PTSD, and it, it got him at Chickamauga. And I think that's why he, that's what happened to him there is what happened with the breakthrough, why he wasn't able to deal with it. Because, I mean, can you imagine, like, all he saw was a sea of blue coming at him and then a sea of gray. And what do you do? He ran. Yeah, and that must have been quite a surprise after the history. And, then, yeah. and that's the fog of war, too. Like, we don't know what he was going through at that time either you know but i think he's he's such a fascinating study he definitely deserves more recognition he's very underrated um and yes he had his faults like any of them do he's very he could be very outspoken he argued with stanton over stuff when he was working in washington and stanton did not like him and i mean i don't like stanton <laughs> so that's where i'll i'll leave it with that but I mean, Rosecrans is, is worth a worth a look. And just because you have a high opinion of Rosecrans does not mean that Grant is any less of a general. No, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But I think yeah. it's, as you study these people, you realize these, every one of these people had, had backgrounds, they had stories. Yeah. They all had their things that they had to deal with. Um, and also, the Civil War was a situation where that nobody ever thought they'd be in. Um, you know, Even with a West Point background, even graduating fifth in his class, you never know what's coming and nope. you never do. You never know um, how it's going to affect you either. It is what it is. So speaking of affecting us, what's coming up next, Mary? So next for us is episode 100. 
Wow. Um, 100 episodes. Yeah, we will be, episode 100, we will be uh, having a guest, uh, Alexander Rose, author of The Lion and the Fox, which is about Confederate espionage and the Confederate Navy being built in Liverpool, England during the early part of the Civil War. We will be talking about that using the background of his new book. As I said, it's called The Lion and the Fox. So we will be doing that. We will be having our usual YouTube live streams this Saturday and then obviously the following Saturday. And also on February the 18th at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, we will be having a actual like in-person hangout at Fourscore in Gettysburg. Four score beer right down there yeah. off of Washington Street. So yeah. definitely do it. Looking looking forward to the next episode. We're gonna get to talk about blockade runners and spies and mm-hmm. pirates and all yeah. kinds of fun stuff. We're gonna get to talk about with this hundred episode. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But um, Alex Rose is gonna be great. Everybody knows him from his book Washington Spies, from AMC series Turn. If you saw that, you you know who he is. Mm-hmm. And his book is fantastic. It shines a light on a portion of the war that people don't really study no. the politics that went one place um, that took place in england to to make england trying to maintain neutrality and it will at the same time the confederates hoping to use them to build a navy to challenge the blockade um and so it's a fascinating fascinating study we've been wanting to do navy for a while so this is this is a this is a good step in that yeah. direction but i think it'll be a good time yeah. so mary again uh, great time as always talk with you talk with that old rosie hopefully we yeah. did him a little bit of justice and um yeah off to the next one so looking yeah. forward to it so any last words from you fincheroo well thanks everybody for listening to this episode and supporting us for 99 episodes now i don't know how we got here we wouldn't <laughs> actually it wouldn't be for out our it wouldn't wouldn't be if we didn't have our awesome listeners as well as you darren well i got 99 problems and you and our listeners are not one of them mary so off we go how How about that how about that (laughs) okay well everybody thanks for listening we appreciate a long day for us mary long night but we're gonna shut this down and call it a day so everybody thanks for listening we look forward to um to see you on the live looking forward to the next episode when we hit triple digits one episode 99 is in the books and we are about to hit 100. So yep. thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you all on the other side. See y'all later. Peace Bye. out. Bye. Bye.